0: From the EBKV studios in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, you're listening to Flyers AD on Brotherly Pod with your hosts Anthony DeMarco and Daniel Lesh. everybody, welcome to Flyers AD on Brotherly Pod. It is Sunday, November 14th, today. Flyers' seven-game point streak is over. Now they can start another point streak after their uh, shootout loss last night. We'll talk about the most recent games and more, but first let me introduce my co-host Anthony DeMarco. Anthony, what's up? Not too much, Dan. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good all things considered uh since the last time we talked the flyers beat the bruins in a shootout they lost to the capitals in a shootout they lost to the senators and then lost to the islanders in a shootout as well you know you were at the senators game so i'll let you talk about that one but on tv that came across as the flyers dominated for the first couple minutes Pitlick had a goal, JVR hit a post or two, a couple of good chances, and then after that, it was just all Senators for the rest of the game. Flyers looked totally disinterested in, in uh, pretty much that Ottawa game.
1: Yeah, pretty much. They came out hot. You know, JVR got uh, stopped a few times, whether it be by Anderson or the post, to your point. Pitlick had a goal that was a classic goal scorer's goal. And then, like you said, they kind of went to sleep as soon as they went up one nothing, and it was all Sanders from there on out. But it was a weird game in which the Flyers played like dog shit for the majority of it but could have easily had four or five goals. And that just, I think that's telling as to just how poor of a team Ottawa is because the Flyers really did not come to play but still could have easily won that game. It was a tightly checked game even though Ottawa was trying their hardest and the Flyers were completely disinterested. I think the fact that they got a four-minute power play at the end of the game and really did nothing with it, not even a real good look during that whole, that entire four-minute power play, especially when they pulled the goalie, kind of just told the tale of what kind of game it was. So, I'm not gonna read too much into it. Once in a while, even the best of teams lay an egg against, you know, the worst of them. You know, it, it happens, right? It was the the classic trap game. Thing. You know, it was in. It was the middle of a stretch of three games and four nights, coming off of a very emotional, hard-fought loss in a shootout to Washington. But it was extremely disappointing to see the Flyers lay an egg like that.
0: <laughs> Everybody going in was like, Ah, the Flyers are better than this. It, it's, it's not a trap game. They're they're better. It's they're not not this year. And then they go out and they play a trap game. So, <laughs> is what it is. There, Islanders last night. I live tweeted, I was around for the first two periods I had to but um, in the second intermission, but the last tweet I sent out for the uh, Brotherly Puck account was, Certainly not the prettiest game, the Flyers have the 3-0 lead after 40 minutes. I checked the score, probably midway through the third period, and I'm like, Oh hey, it's 3-2, to they're gonna fucking blow this. And I checked later, and they lost in a shootout. <sighs> it, it's It's... The Islanders are a very good team, but, uh, you know, again, I didn't watch the third period. I don't know exactly what happened, but uh, I I can only, (laughs) given what I know about the Flyers, I can only imagine how ugly that period was where the Islanders probably were just peddled on the metal because it was was a really rough game overall. You know, the Islanders had long stretches of time where they were dominating. The Flyers did have their chances uh, throughout the first two periods. But, I mean, the Islanders just uh, kept coming, much like the Senators. The Islanders uh, didn't give up on the Flyers, and they uh, took it to them in the end.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, the Islanders just outclassed them top to bottom as soon as that third period started, you know. And the Flyers are lucky that they got a point not only just because the Flyers were coming, but Thomas Grice gave up a really bad goal to Oscar Lindblom in the second period there. So, you know, uh, they got kind of caught on the power play on the tie on the uh, second goal, on the tying goal. You know, Joel Faraby really botched an easy, clear attempt up the wall that led directly to it. I'm not going to hold it against Joel Farabee, but I think that everyone who thought he was going to come and save the day, you know, there's just a testament to how this kid probably isn't 100% ready to be in the NHL. I still find he struggles mightily in the defensive zone at times, but you know, the Flyers, they just looked like a team out of gas. The overtime was extremely uneventful, arguably the most boring overtime I've seen since they implemented the three on three. And then the Islanders made short work of Brian Elliott in the shootout. And, uh, You know, again, it's two bad games. They managed to scrounge a point against a very good Islanders team, a hard-pressed Islanders team. So I'm not really going to push the panic button now. You know, they have a couple days to reset here before they get going against Florida. And then I believe they got Carolina and Calgary the rest of the week. You know, I'm not ready to completely melt down here. Two bad games of hockey does not erase the stretch of 5-0-2 that the Flyers went on prior to that. And as a whole, you know, 5-1-3 and three in the last night is still a very good record and a good amount of points that you've banked. But there are some issues here on the Flyers that they have to work out. And I think the biggest thing is their offense or their consistent offense but, uh, beyond the Limblom, Katori, and Konechny line, even though that line was broken up last night.
0: Seems worth noting they've been to six shootouts and seven uh, overall, overtime game. Seven games they'd won overtime in six shootouts. In just in November alone, thus far, they are three and three uh, in the shootout, and I believe they uh, beat the Canadians in overtime. So, you know, it's not like they're going out there and dominating, and then they just laid an egg uh, against the Senators and Islanders. I think the overall team is still playing very well. I think most of them, with the exception of Jake Voracek and Shane Gossisbear, have bought into Olivio's system. But you know, the five-one and three record does seem a little misleading, considering how many of these games could have gone the other way, given all the overtime and shootouts.
1: Yeah, like they weren't exactly winning in dominant fashion, and that's why I said like there is still a lot of areas of concern here, or not even a lot of areas of concern, but there's glaring areas of concerns. But, again, these are banked points, and, you know, you can't take that away from the Flyers. And the fact that they aren't playing picture-perfect hockey and still been able to compile 13 of the last 18 possible points is very, very good. But, I mean, James Van Riemsdyk, Shane Gostisbury, Jakob Voracek, you know, you can kind of throw Kevin Hayes and Claude Giroux into that mix, but to a lesser extent, you know, these guys have got to get going here. I, I talked about it on SiriusXM XMHL radio yesterday on the hot stove where I said it's great that you have Lim Blom and Keturi and Travis Konekne leading the charge here. But after a certain point, your big guns have to do something because as you get down the stretch and if they were to make it into the playoffs, if you were playing teams like Boston or Washington or the Pittsburgh Penguins, like these teams are led by their stars. The perfection line in Boston Ovi Kuznetsov and Backstrom and John Carlson in Washington, you know, the Flyers have been able to, you know, amount a very good record, at least in my mind, of 10-6-4, they're in a playoff spot right now, and but they still haven't completely reached the expectations uh, um, yet that we have expected from their stars. And the fact that Jakob Vorchek and James Van Riemsdyk specifically and Shane beer have been non-factors in this, for the most part, good stretch of hockey for the Flyers, in my mind, is a very concerning issue.
0: They are currently clinging on to the second wildcard spot at the moment. A little too early to start worrying about any of that. But it is worth noting that they were in the third place in the Metro a couple days ago. So I put out a stat on Twitter right before the show here, and I'll, I'll read it all here. Since November 1st, which is nine games... Jake Voracek has 4 assists, 15 shots on goal. JVR, 1 goal, 2 assists, 16 shots on goal. Hayes has 0 points and 21 shots on goal. Gostasper, 2 assists, 12 shots on goal. Giroux, 1 goal in his last 5 games, but he is 3 goals, 3 assists since November 1st, but only 1 goal in his last 5 games. 24 shots on goal. That's pathetic from what is supposed to be your offensive, your top offensive producing guys. You know, not only, uh, uh, you know, history-wise, but money-wise. These are the guys you're paying $78 million a year to score goals. And if it wasn't for the second line, the, the Lindblom-Couturier-Konechny trio, which has combined for 9 goals, 14 assists, and 88 shots on goal, you know, this team would be sunk because their top guys are not getting it done right now.
1: Well, look. You know, first you have the injury to Scotland. I'm not really going to reference Nolan Patrick because I he hasn't started the team. He hasn't been with the team since the start of the season, and I don't expect him to be with the team for the foreseeable future. So I'll just concentrate on Scott Lawton. He's not there. Joel Farabee has pretty much been playing top line, top power play minutes. In my mind, he isn't completely ready to be in that role. I touched on it a couple minutes ago. I think he's been thrusted into a role a bit over his head. Voracek and Van Riemsveig have played far from expectations and have been complete disappointments. And Kevin Hayes, you know, I think we have to just separate him from his contract here. You know, a big thing that was going to be contributed to Kevin Hayes' success this season was if his line mates were able to play to expectations. And now, last night, he was playing with two guys who everyone – expect him to play with to start the year in Van Riemzik and Voracek. Those guys have been absolutely non-factors in the offensive zone. So in turn, it's translated to Kevin Hayes, who's been kind of like bumped up and down the lineup here. So the Flyers are thin offensively behind, you know, the Limblom, Couturier, and Konechny. giroux has been fairly good, I would say, especially the fact that he's been forced to play in the middle here. But I think it is a deeply concerning trend right now that the Flyers cannot get offense from the guys that they so desperately need offense from, and that even ties into Shane Goss' despair. I
0: I give listen. We all we've talked about this a couple weeks ago. I didn't like Kevin Hayes when they signed him over the summer, but I'm probably his biggest fan at the moment. I really, really like what he brings to the table because he's doing so much more than scoring goals. And I've seen, I've had to come to his defense on Twitter a couple times because people are blaming the lack of offense on him. And listen, he is signed for $7.1 million. You would like to see more scoring out of him, but he's a 40 to 45 point guy. He always has been, with the exception of last year. And that's an anomaly, it seems. You know, he's on pace for about, what, 30 points right now? 38, something like that. So, you know, he's not expected to to hit that number again. But, like, he's doing so much more than, say, Voracek and JVR are. And those are the guys who have histories of 80-point seasons and 30-plus goal seasons. And they're not getting done. So, sure, you would like to see more from Hayes, but if you're talking about the offense not showing up, Hayes should not be your main target here.
1: Well, you know what? With Kevin Hayes, all I ask people who trash on him and trash the sign is like, think about where this team would be if they wouldn't have gotten him. That's, that's the best way I could put it. He is worth that $7.14 million in AAV because of the value he brings, because the Flyers would be dead in the water. They paid him that money because they knew the uncertainty around Nolan Patrick and they knew that they are not an attractable destination right now in free agency, and there weren't a lot of guys available. Matt Duchesne was set on going to the Nashville Predators. A lot of people were throwing around Ryan Dezingle, and you know what? He's not a center, so I don't know what the hell's wrong with you people. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, you know, you could trade for Nazem Kadri, but you would have had to given up uh, uh, two roster players in the process, like Shane Gossard and Scott Lawton, if you were compared to what the Leafs got for Condry and Barry at Kerfoot. Hayes was the best option because he ch- checked a lot of boxes. Has he brought the offense that I expected? I would say he hasn't quite gotten there, but for the most part, he's played to what I expected that he would. Because if the linemates are completely useless, he's not a guy that's going to go into the offensive zone and single-handedly create chances. You know, just remove his cap hit away from the situation for the moment when assessing his play. He's been dominant on the penalty kill. He's a great on the back check, great in the defensive zone. He's hard on the forecheck when he gets there. But if he's passing it to guys who don't know how to, what to do with the puck, what do you want from him? You know, aside from the first three or four games, excuse me, when he was with Giroux and Vorchek, he's been tossed around with different line mates and line mates who aren't exactly offensive juggernauts. He had a stretch with Faraby and Michael Roffel, now he's been strapped to the side of Jakob Voracek, who has just been non-existent, now he's got James Van Reemsay on his other side, I just don't know what you could really expect more from Kevin Hayes right now, given the lack of offense and relevancy from his linemates.
0: You <laughs> know, Ironically enough, when Giroux was centering Hayes and Voracek, he wasn't getting it done either and now it's Hayes centering Hayes and Voracek, and they're not getting it done. So maybe it's not the center that they're working with. Maybe it's the fucking two incompetent scoring wingers that they're supposed to have on their side.
1: Well, that's what it is. Jakob Voracek and James Van Rinsdag are the two highest-paid wingers on this team, and overall, they are the second and fourth highest-paid players on the team, respectively. And they're not getting it done at all, and they're consistently non-factors. Like, Van Riems, like I think, gets has been getting more chances because I at least see him like in front of the net and I've heard on him multiple times and see it with my own eyes that he either hits the post or whatever, so at least he's getting to the dirty areas. So like I could even somewhat give him more of a pass. But Voracek, like, it is just painful to watch this guy. He doesn't know how to get a shot through traffic. All he tries to do is look for a cross-ice pass he single-handedly handicaps the first power play unit. Like, he has just been such a major letdown, more so than Shane Goss's beer, more so than James Van Riems, like, way more so than Kevin Hayes, because he doesn't do anything else, and I don't care that he's bat-checked better. Like, is that where we're at, that an $8 million guy, winger— who has, you know, been an offensive force for the majority of his career? We are doing, we're getting moral victories because he's strong on a back check. Like it doesn't matter. Like the Flyers need offense. That is what is going on right now. They are losing because their offensive juggernauts, or quote unquote offensive juggernauts, are non-factors. It's a one-line team. Like last night. Katori, Lindblom, and Ferebee were on the ice for all the goals, including the power play where Pertrovrov blasted into the net. This team has become a one- or two-line team for the opposition to match, and that lies directly at the feet of Jakob Voracek and James Van
0: Riemsdyk. Vor uh, I've heard people say, but Daniel, Jake Voracek has 13 points. Well, here's the thing. Ten of those 13 points came in four games, meaning he has three points over the rest of the 16. You know, and again, this is a guy who is supposed to be on your you know, your power play, your top winger on paper, and he's just not getting it done. And and it, we talked about Ferabi a little bit, and again, I've heard people, "Oh, we got to call Frost up." Like, first of all, do you really think at this point Morgan Frost is going to change the team so dramatically that he's worth calling up early? Like, you already tried this with Ferabi, and. He's looked fine, but he's not doing anything overly impressive. And he was more ready than Frost is, even right now. So I just—he's not the answer. Frost had that seven-game point streak. He's gone pointless in the three games since it ended. And uh, from I've been at one of those games, and he—he's just—he's just not super noticeable. He's good on the power play. It was a 5-on-3 where he had his last assist at, which is great. And he he is creative offensively, but he's not ready yet, and especially to carry the workload of all of these star players, Voracek, JVR, Giroux, Hayes, Ghost, that are not contributing offensively. If the top six was rolling, if the Flyers' top guys are rolling, in Voracek, JVR, Hayes, Giroux, all these forwards, uh, plus, you know, Kateri, Konechny, and Lindblom, if all of them were contributing regularly on offense... And they just needed uh, 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 that last piece, that last depth center to come up and, and make a change and help spark the offense a little bit from the bottom six. Fine. That's one thing. But at, at this point, for calling Frost up to solve the offensive woes of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine players is just. It's, it's it's a fucking ludicrous idea. There's just, you gotta just leave the kid out of this, it is not time to call Frost up, and I'm it's fucking annoys me every single time I see his name on my timeline when people bring it up.
1: Well, you brought up a good point there, because I'm with you that I think it would just be an asinine move to call up Morgan Frost, and, you know, we've seen it at length from people who are close to the situation and have actual knowledge, not relying on YouTube highlights to base their opinion on, that they're adamant that Frost is not ready. But, like, take me, for example. Like, I started this, this you know, this narrative last week where I been on the Jean-Gabriel Pajot train. I want the first to get Jean-Gabriel Pajot, but, yes, do they need an additional centre, especially if Nolan Patrick is a non-factor? Moving forward, yeah, I think they do. I think Scott Lawn is much better on the wing, and if he is going to play center, he's much more suited to do so in a fourth-line role. And Claude Giroux ideally should be on the wing at this point in his career. So I think that at some point the Flyers need to address the third-line center, and Pajot would fit that bill. But after watching last night, is it going to make that much of a difference if Van Riemsen and Voracek aren't doing anything? You know, they've been given every chance to succeed and they're not doing so. So even if you were to call up Morgan Frost or trade for Jean-Gabriel Pajot, like, I don't even know if that's enough at this point. And I put it out on Twitter yesterday, like, would you move, you know, a highly touted prospect and let's say Yakov Orchek to acquire Taylor Hall? And you'd be surprised how many people are like against that idea because they just think that reinjecting more and more young guys into this team is the solution and it's just completely ignorant that like you don't realize what the problem is here like we've seen it with Rubsov Verobiev you know Faraby has stuck on this team but come on guys like he's been more or less a non-factor offensively in more games than not. Like, he's been fine, and I think he's an NHL player, and he can hang, but he is not moving the needle like a lot of these people thought he would. And it would be ditto for Morgan Frost, if not worse. So I think the Flyers, if they want to make a serious push this season, it's not just about adding a depth center like Jean-Gabriel Pajot. Or try to inject more youth. like They would literally need to make an impact move in which they trade a guy like Van Riemsenck or Yak Voracek to get a guy like Taylor Hall who can impact the Flyers the way that those guys are not right now.
0: If this trend from the top guys continues, Voracek and JVR... Just kind of doing nothing, contributing here and there, but for the most part, non-factors in a game. Do you think, maybe either at the trade deadline or more probably in the offseason, do you think we're going to see a big move made by Fletcher to kind of shake up this core that just is underperforming?
1: I think the offseason, it would be almost a guarantee, like if this drags out for the rest of the season. You know, in-season, it's tough to move big contracts like this. I wouldn't say it's impossible because we've seen it in the past, like, I, like I've been on the Taylor Hall thing, but again, like it's gonna be tough to try and swap him for a Jakob Voracek type of move. But I would bet my bottom dollar that like if Voracek and Ben Reems like can't realize their level of play like they're expected to, like and this drags out all season, that the Flyers would be forced to make a move because you know this is a, still a good team, and I'll and I'll rely on that, and or I'll stay on that because. Look at what they've been able to do with Van Riemsdyk and Voracek and even Shane Gosspear be- being passengers for all of this. Like in oh, that 5-0 2 run that they were on before these two get this two these last two games, they weren't doing anything. You put out those stats to prove it and back these points. So I put it out yesterday on Twitter where like this team would be borderline elite if Voracek and Van Riemsdyk were playing to expectations. But they are not. They're just casual guys skating out. there, not doing anything glaringly wrong, but just consistently do nothing to make impact plays. Like, we saw one play from Jakob Voracek against the Washington Capitals where he danced around Radko Gudas and set up Klojiru. Great, but could you do it maybe once or twice more (laughs) every game? Like, it doesn't excuse everything else that you've done. So, Dan, like, honestly, like, I would I would find it tough to view it midseason just because with the salary cap and all this it'd be it would be kind of difficult to move a big contract like that midseason. But I don't see how Fletcher hangs on to these guys like beyond this season if this current year continues as it's been through the first six weeks or so.
0: There was a guy I think I talked about this on Angry Negative this week. There was a guy I had on Twitter maybe a week or two ago now. And I, it was Jake Voracek had a terrible pass that was a short and it resulted in a shorthanded breakaway for the other team. And I was, I called him, I'm like, God, Jake Voracek's so fucking stupid for this errant pass leading to the shorthanded breakaway. And somebody goes, But you didn't mention his good defensive play right before that. I'm like, fuck. Like, that's why these people are so goddamn poisoned in their head when it comes to guys like Jake Voracek, is they don't want to admit that these guys are bad. And I've been hearing, for ye- fucking years about Shane Gossesbeard Now he'll come around He'll come It's a 65 point guy He'll come around Like when are we just gonna sit here And honestly admit That these guys are not having a good season And they be washed Voracek's not getting any younger JVR's not getting any younger Gus Despair has one decent season under his belt. Like, maybe it's time to admit that this core is not what they could be. There's a... Fuck. This team on paper should be dominant, should be lights out. If you just pull up their roster, Claude Giroux, Jake Forchek, Kevin Hayes, James N. Reems, like Travis Konechny, Couturier, Raffle, Faraby, Lindblom, you know, the names going on, Provorov, Niskan, Agassas, Beer, Braun, Sandheim, Hag, Myers. There's so much goddamn talent on this team on paper, and then they roll it out on the ice and they completely fail in an execution. And that's not the coach's fault. That's the player's fault who I've been fucking lazy shits for the last five years under Dave Axel, and they come in and used to not working, and now somebody's making them work, and they're not buying into the system one way or another here.
1: Well, look, between Beer, Van Riemseek, and Jakob they pretty much take up about $20 million on the cap. And they have been, would you say it's fair to say, non-factors for the majority of the season offensively? Yep. So... The Flyers, I would say, have been had a good season so far. Just good. You know, they're, I know that they're 500 in terms of pure wins and losses, but they're four points above 500. They're well in the mix of the playoff race. You know, they're in a good spot. They're in a comfortable spot, but they have to, you know, get things going here eventually. But look at what they've been able to do with these guys being passengers for the first 20 games of the season. They've compiled 10 wins and 24 points with these guys just being absolutely useless in the offensive zone. So that's why I will stay on the point that if these guys were doing what they were supposed to do or expected to do or what they're capable of doing and have demonstrated in the past... Like, people always die on the hill that v- 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 Gossesburg got 65 points a few years ago. And Voracek is a six-time 70-point guy. And Ben Rimsic a con- consistent 25-goal guy. Great. If they were doing that right now, the Flyers would easily have... Two or three more wins, because you know what, Dan? How many games did have the Flyers lost that they could have easily won if one if they got one dominant player, uh, one dominant play from a quote star player? Because last night they're tied, uh, they blow a three goal lead in the in the in the third period. They still get a point, but one play from Jakub Voracek where he single handedly creates something could have changed the trajectory of the game. The Dallas Stars way early in the season, same thing. The Calgary Flames, same thing. They're, they have lost a lot of games. Oh, the Ottawa Sanders, just on Friday night. They have lost a lot of tight games where the Flyers have just gotten nothing from the star players, and they've lost games by one goal where it could have completely changed if they just got one good play from a, quote, star player, and they just have not gotten that. And a lot of teams win games on the backs of their stars when the rest of the team isn't carrying the load because that's what star players are
0: supposed to do. And these star, again, they've been to six shootouts in November alone. You know, how many of those games could they have won in regulation? They're 3-3 three three in those shootouts. They could have won in regulation if they got some help from their star players. This has been a relatively low-scoring team. You know, it's, uh, they scored three goals, one goal, one goal three goals, three goals, three goals, four, you know, and those are all uh, shootout victories as well. So, you know, they're just, it's not like, uh, I don't know. There's just, they're not getting the offense. And, and you can sit here and bury Kevin Hayes all you want, but he's far from the only thing here. And granted, he doesn't have, his last assist came October 27th. His last goal came October 26th. So yeah, he's not getting it done. But in terms of what we're, what he's bringing to the table compared to what Voracek and JVR are bringing to the table, it's 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 a point that shouldn't even be happening. You know, we're going to fucking use analytics to bear everybody else. Like, I'm sure Kevin Hayes, given how well he's playing his two-way game, I'm sure his analytics look good compared to JVR and Voracek. So, fuck, let's just let's lay off Kevin Hayes here and let's blame Jake Voracek because the fucking guy should know better at this point. He's a lazy piece of shit. I'm, just, I'm shocked that this fan base can't see that, given how they tear everybody else apart for that. Well, because
1: I, I just balance it with expectations. When they brought Kevin Hayes in, I said, okay, he's coming in to get 40 to 45 points, like you mentioned, to take a lot of hard minutes from Claude Giroux, take away a lot of hard mints away from Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier, play excellent on the penalty kill, and just fit where the Flyers, wherever they need him to be. And that's what he's done. But he hasn't gotten points because the two guys who are paid to score points and not play the penalty kill and not take away hard minutes from Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, and Van Riemsdyk and Voracek have not done so. Like, take, like, just go away from the cap, it, please, because people, for some reason, just acquaint you know cap dollars with what they should get offensively like oh well if you make seven million dollars a year you should be guaranteed between 55 and 65 points no that's not how it works okay you get paid according to your value to the team and i'll say this right now kevin Hayes is way more valuable to this team than james van reamsdijk or Jakub borchek And if anyone disputes that, then you really do not know what you're watching. Because Orchick and James and Sake are paid to put up points. That's what they are paid to do. To make seven-plus million dollars as a winger is a tough, tough sell in the NHL today. There's not a lot of wingers who make that much money. That's just a fact. And when you are not doing your job, and your sole job is to put up points, there is something fundamentally wrong. Okay, you do not pay wingers seven, seven to eight to nine million dollars to just be good on the back check. Or Van Riemsdyk has been way more solid in the defensive zone, and Vorchek really skates the puck out well to center ice. I do not care. That is not what they are paid to do. You know who else is good in the defensive zone? Oscar Lindblom, and he makes less than a million dollars a year. You know who else is excellent in the defensive zone? Michael Roffel, Tyler Pitlick. These are guys that if if they back-check hard and get the puck out, then we could have moral victories, you know? Those are guys, but they are guys who make a fraction of Van Reemsek, a fraction of Jakub Voracek, and they are not here to put up points. Like guys like Pitlick, guys like Michael Roffel, they are paid not to get scored on when the guys who are paid to score are taking a break, and the guys who are paid to score are not doing it. And anyone who thinks that there's something bigger wrong with this team, than Voracek and Van Ries, like, being non-existent really have to evaluate whether or not they understand the game of hockey.
0: Voracek yes. is the sixth highest paid right winger in the league behind Mitch Marner, Patrick Kane, Nikita Kucherov, Mark Stone, and Miko Rantanen. What the fuck? JVR is the 11th highest paid left winger in the league behind Panarin, Ovechkin, Ben, Skinner, Giroux, Parise, Connor, uh, Evander, Kane, Matthew, Chuck, Anders Lee. Like, that's some elite company both those guys are hanging out with, and they're not producing anywhere near what they should. Uh, let's see, do they have the points? Oh, they do, look at that. Van Riemsdyk, 9 points. Lee has 10. Matthew Kuchuk, 20. Evander Kane, 18. Kyle Connor 16. Giroux, 13. Skinner, 13. Ovechkin, 24. Panarin, 23. For Voracek, he's got 13 points. He got 18 for Stone, 18 for Kucherov, 25 for Kane, 18 for Marner. Like, they're hanging with elite company money-wise, and they're not producing. You know, that's a hard sell for a trade. That's a hard sell to look at your team and go, God damn, you're paying this idiot $8.2 million and he can't score. It's just, God, I fucking I hate this team sometimes.
1: Well, well, you just rattled it off of, like, all these wingers who were, like, paid more than them and what kind of company they're in. Which one of those wingers are relied on to be defensive specialties? That's it. Like, okay, maybe Claude Giroux because he flips back and forth to center ice. But, you know, Kucherov, Marner, like, these guys are not, like, relying on moral victories in the defensive zone to justify their high pay grade. Ditto with Van Riemsdyk and the class that he's in. Like, it's great. It's fine that, like, you're good in the defensive zone. But, like, I would much rather Voracek not be good in the defensive zone, but have five to ten more points. You know what I mean? Like, that's not why he's being paid all this money. Like, Again, I reiterated, it is really a tough sell to pay that kind of money to a winger in the NHL. We saw the big power struggle in Toronto this summer when Marner wanted Matthew's money, but Matthews got more because he's a centre. Because it is a very risky business to pay that kind of money to a guy who plays the wing. And when you are making $7, 8000000 million and you are struggling to put up more than a point every other game, You know, and which isn't even a primary point like you've listed with Yakov Voracek, it is just a really tough ask. And like that's what it is. Like people complain about the salary cap. We see them having meltdowns every day because Chris Stewart makes seven hundred thousand dollars. That is not the problem why they're up against the cap. They're up against the cap because they have guys making a combined fifteen million dollars a year who don't even have a combined twenty points through twenty games. It's unacceptable, and it's just—it's something that it, the Flyers' level of play right now, of getting you know, you know, staying four points above 500 or whatever it is, it is so unsustainable. If these guys are not producing
0: points early in the in the year, we heard about depth scoring. Oh, the third and fourth line aren't scoring. They're not getting it done. They're not getting it done. But you know, and that's but something a point I was trying to make at the time. we like. You're excusing your top guys for not scoring because they're playing a little better defensively, i.e., Voracek and Van Riemsdyk. But at the end of the day, if your depth guys are playing better defense, which they were, you got it. It's not their job to score goals. It's your top six, these top stars' job to score goals. They're not getting it done. You know, you can't blame the bottom six, your fourth line, for not scoring goals when your top six isn't scoring goals either. And that's been the real big part here is, you know, this team has gotten much better defensively. And even JVR and Voracek have played marginally better defense. And that's why people are are sparing them from being, you know, eat alive. But the depth is not supposed to be scoring goals on a regular basis. You're supposed to get a chip-in goal every now and again from your bottom six. But people got so angry that they weren't scoring goals on the regular. But, you know, they're letting guys like Voracek and GVR and and Giroux to an extent kind of slip away because they're not scoring but they're playing better defensively like you need your top guys to show up this shouldn't be fucking rocket science now granted we're talking about Flyers Twitter and the fucking collectively the goddamn worst place on earth but like uh, I just I just don't understand why it's so difficult for people to get To call out Voracek and JVR for their dumb shit instead of just putting, well, it's Chris Stewart's fault this week. Like, it's (sighs) Dumb. Well, it's because,
1: again, people don't under... The masses are idiots. That's just the fact of the matter, that they don't really know what they're watching, so they need, you know, other people to tell them or cap-friendly to tell them who the bad players are. But, look, this is a star-driven league. It's as simple as that. There are teams that rely on their stars and get carried into the playoffs. Like, look at Colorado last year. Did anyone know another forward on that team besides Radsden, Landis and Nathan McKinnon? I don't. Probably. I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, granted, they are spiraling out of control right now, but I would find it, you know, it is hard-pressed to find people who know anyone from their bottom six, You know, the same thing with the Boston Bruins. My best friend is a Boston Bruins fan, and he says, you know, beyond that star, those top players, there's not much left offensively for that team. The Florida Panthers are being driven by Barkov and Huberdeau right now. Like, you are not. Or the Edmonton Oilers, Drysaddle and McDavid have more points than the rest of the team combined. Like something
0: crazy, like that. Oh, I put that on Twitter the it, other day. I think it was forty one for Drysaddle, thirty seven for McDavid, and the only the third highest score on the team is fifteen. <laughs> so it's a fucking huge gap there.
1: So that's what. So that's our point: is that look at what the Flyers have been able to do with their quote star guys being next to useless. So if they were doing their job, like I I, like I said before, they would have easily two or three more wins. But again, I much rather go to war with my star players car- uh, carrying the load, like the aforementioned teams I just listed, than relying on, you know, one line and a few death players here and there. Like, look how much, you know, like, look how much praise Michael Roffel has gotten this year. And, you know, granted, he's earned it. He's been excellent. He's moved from left wing to right wing to center, up and down the lineup. Like, beyond Kevin Hayes, he's been the most versatile forward on the team. But is it normal that he's getting all this praise? Is it? No, it's not. He's doing the job of a borderline third line for ideally fourth-line player, and he's doing it, and it's paying off in spades. Good on Michael Roffle, But the reason why it's been so glaringly evident how well he's played is because Voracek's not doing anything. Van Reemsake's not doing anything. Shane Gostespierre isn't doing anything. Like, these are guys that are supposed to be the flashy, the flashy point producers. Get the goals when you need it the most. Change the, you know, the uh, the momentum of a game. But no, we're like relying on, you know, a good back check by Michael Raffle or an epic, uh, like poke of the stick from Tyler Pit to try and like, you know, find positives on this team because on more times than not, the quote star players are just not doing it.
0: Nope, and they're just not getting it done. <laughs> One other thing I wanted to talk about uh, before we before we end the show today. I, I noticed it pretty much all season long with Yo. And it was really starting to drive me nuts this week with the Capitals game and then the Ottawa game. The amount of line shaking up and Yo does kind of drives me crazy. And, you know, for the most part, people have given him a pass. For it, And I understand, but it's something that everybody tore Dave Haxtell apart for. And I'm starting to wonder if it's doing more harm than good, if it's starting to become a desperation move for the Flyers. You know, I get you, again, we just spent 40 minutes talking about their entire offense being essentially incompetent outside the second line. So they are forced to make these moves. But at what point do shaking up the lines every single night become more of a Damage than it is a, a positive, and try and shake things up.
1: You know, it's it's a good point because I was very surprised that he took me away from Katori and Lindblom, and I thought that Giroux and Joel Faraby and James Van Riemsdyk were starting to gain some form of chemistry. But I think it's I think it's directly related to what we just talked about, Dan, because you Va- knows that. It's not sustainable to find success long-term, and if they were to make the playoffs, relying on one line and some chip-in offense from depth guys here and there, like the Flyers have done over the last, for pretty much the, the balance of the season so far. But so I think that what he's trying to do is find something that clicks, that gets guys like Van Riemsdijk and Jakob Vorchek going. It's been no secret that he's been disappointed with them. And he keeps giving them chances to succeed as they're still in the top power play and all that. But to your point, are you kind of hurting, you know, the positives of your lineup, trying to jumpstart, you know, the useless players right now? And it seems like that's what it is because look at Kevin Hayes. Kevin Hayes now is in the middle of Van Riemsdyk and Voracek, and it wasn't like he was, you know, scoring goals at will and putting up points at will before this. But now he's playing with the two guys who are the most snake bitten. So I think that he's trying to find something that best benefits the entirety the entire group of forwards. But to your point, he's kind of hurting that what was the only thing that was working for him.
0: I mean, Dave Paxwell oh, used to do it. He used to just throw shit at a wall and hope some of it would stick. And he got heavily criticized for it. And I, I think he was wrong to do that. Because I just... I don't know. I, I get why they're shaking him up. And it's the same reason that they have Giroux on the fucking wrong side of the power plays. Because they're trying to get JVR some goals. They're trying to get Voracek some goals. And, and fine. you know, If that's what you're trying to do, fine. It's fucking failing horribly. But they're trying to do it. Okay. I understand. But it just seems like every time like and it's happened a couple times probably more often than not i need mean, to go back and check everything out numbers wise but it seems like every time they have a bad first period they change it up for the second period every time there's a bad second they change it up for the third period and i i understand that line of thinking and they they're trying to find some kind of combination here amongst all these shitheads to try and get something going from somebody and and i in that sense i understand it but I don't know. It just, it seems counterproductive to be shaking up the lines every 20 minutes after something doesn't work out. Cause you know, it is about chemistry to an extent. Sometimes it happens immediately and sometimes it doesn't. And I don't know. It just, it's starting to feel a little desperate, but at the same time, I totally understand because nobody's getting anything done. They don't have much of a choice. So it is kind of a catch 22 in that, uh, in that scenario.
1: Well, it's just, He's trying to find something that works and what clicks up and down the lineup, but it seems like whenever he finds something that works, there's always something that's not, you know, that is the complete opposite. Because when they were on that, that you know, that point streak of 5 oh, and 2 you know, you had the second line that was working well. Giroux and Faraby starting to, you know, get some chemistry. But then the third line of uh, Raffle and uh, – sorry – excuse me, hiccup there. <laughs> but, you know, you had that third line of Raffle Hayes, and Voracek that was doing all right, but then, okay, the fourth line's getting beat, so now he swaps Raffle and Torinsky Okay, well, now the third line's not working, but the top two lines are, okay, so we're going to switch it around here to try and balance it out. But I get what he's trying to do, like you said, on the power play, you know, they, they keeps Giroux on that right side to try and benefit James Van sake but after a certain point... What like I know you rather have both of them going than only one of them, but I also rather have one of them going than none of them. Yeah. and that seems to be what's going on. Like put Giroud on that right side and forget about Van Rames. Like You can't just keep giving these guys imminent chances to succeed. And I think after a certain point we're going to see that because even on the power play now, like it's not normal that the quote unquote first unit is a non-factor game in and game out and they only get chances once the second unit comes on, you know? And I think at a certain point, like I, and I think it will come eventually because Vigneault and Terry and these guys are been holding players accountable, but I think maybe another month or so where the Flyers will be giving their players every chance to succeed. But after a certain point, I think he's just going to go with what works for the masses And, you know, the players who just aren't going right now will just have to work it out for themselves.
0: Well, the Flyers play three games this week. They play Florida on Tuesday, uh, the Carolina Hurricanes on Thursday, and the Calgary Flames on Saturday. So... It is not getting any easier. It is, is November here. It has been a rough month for the Flyers, but uh, you know, what do you have, what do you think about the Flyers in this schedule coming up this week?
1: Oh, I think it's a more balanced schedule. It's not as compacted lately, so I'm optimistic because I put out on Twitter last night that a bad stretch two games doesn't erase what they've done as a whole over the last several weeks. You know, I'm confident in this team. I like the coaching staff. I still really like the defense for the most part. Um, so I'm I'm really I'm really optimistic going in. But again, how optimistic can I can continue to be when their top guys are continually non-factors? So I think the Flyers come out with a winning record here. I I expect them to beat the Florida Panthers. I expect them to beat the Carolina Hurricanes. And you know, against the Western teams, we'll see what they do. So I'm going to continue to be optimistic here. I'm not going to just, you know, harp on two bad games. And I think one thing that's making me very positive right now is around the team. And I kind of touched on it with the defense, but Ivan Prokrov, man, oh man, this guy has just been amazing through this season. And I thought a lot, and I think a lot has to do with his new partner, Matt Niskanen, but I cannot stress enough how calming it's been that the Flyers finally have a true number one defenseman. And With Niskanen, a true top pair.
0: The Pro-Rov-Niskanen pair has been a joy to watch more often than not. I've raved about Matt Niskanen on the past couple episodes here. I really, really, really like what they saw. I was I was excited when they brought him in, simply because I was not a big Radko Gudis fan, but um, he's been exceeding all expectations as far. You can tell that he's been there, he's done that, he's got it all figured out, he, he's, he has the experience, and to put somebody like that with Ivan Provar rather than fucking Andrew McDonald, you clearly see how big of a difference it's making, and that pair has been uh, an absolute pleasure, especially when the rest of the Defense has been uh, rather shaky throughout.
1: Well, yeah, and you know, it was like when Phil Myers showed up, who was a healthy scratch last night, which was a bit weird, but you know, he showed up, had a couple of dominant games, and people were trying to, you know, elect him as the number one ahead of Ivan Provarov. And, uh, you know, I said last week that I think that out of all the other defensemen, Myers has the best chance to maybe eventually surpass Provarov on this depth chart because I think maybe he just has a bit more raw skill than pro But, like, to draw that comparison now, like, I've said it numerous times that, like, this team would be absolutely dead in the water if they did not have Ivan pro because they just simply do not have another guy who could take even nearly as many minutes as he does right now.
0: Yeah, and there was uh, Torinsky and Myers that were scratched last night in favor of Stewart and... Robert Haig. There were rumor before the game that it may have been injury-related, and then afterwards, Levin Yeo came out and said, it's not injury-related. So, kind of odd that you're going to sit Myers, uh, especially when you have fucking Shane Goss' bear on the ice doing goddamn nothing. So, a little odd, but it was one game. I'm not going to get too angry about it. If it's something we see frequently from here on out, yeah, then, you know, that'll be a topic for next week, I guess.
1: Yeah, like, I mean, I don't think Myers has been as good in the last several games as he has but again like I don't think that the Flyers are ready to pull the plug on him and I do fully expect to come to come back into the lineup in the next few. Torinsky, like I I like the kid I I think he plays with a lot of pace he gets hard in on the forecheck and you could tell like he just works his ass off every shift but there's a bit to his game that I feel is a bit too hectic at times for the NHL a bit too reckless and I know people don't want to hear it but Chris Stewart really has a good mind for the game I thought like when you watch him play he makes a lot of smart decisions with the puck he doesn't panic like I see Twarowski does but uh, I just think the more you know notable roster move was switching out Pro um Myers for Robert Hagg as opposed to Stewart for Twarowski
0: Did uh did Stewart shoot in the shootout last night? <laughs>
1: no he didn't. Well, what the hell? No, he didn't. Uh, no, yeah. Well, like, I mean, to be fair, the Flyers went two and out. Like, the Islanders scored their first two, and the Flyers missed their first two. So So he might have been the third guy. Oh, my God. I would have would have loved <laughs> to see Kevin Fortier if he would have shot.
0: Oh, man. Flyers would have collectively melted down if that happened. But, yeah, well, uh, new episode of OMB Puck Cast tomorrow night with uh, Radio Rob of the Always Next Year podcast. Uh, you can check out my hat, uh, Shane Mead, and uh, Steve Schmidt of the Always Next Your Podcast on Tuesday night's show. Uh, the Angry Negative show featuring the High and Wide Radio Boys was on Thursday night. I'll be back Wednesday with Angry Jim. I think that's the only show I have scheduled this week, actually, at least for the time being. So uh, that'll be a nice, easy week for me then. i will be tomorrow. Uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? You can find me at 8 Market 25 and I'm at Dan the Flyer fan at BrotherlyPuck at Brotherly underscore Pod. Uh, until Wednesday, everybody. Goodbye and good night.